lovely man But I can't resist the thought of being kissed by someone else's boyfriend Someone else's special day Someone else's boyfriend Oh, I think we're significantly better off. I think that women's lives are completely uh, different. If you look back at the early 70s when women got blamed for rape, they didn't get believed if they talked about domestic violence. They didn't have the choices in occupation and education. There was a quota system at medical school for women. It was uh, virtually impossible for women to get into engineering school. Um, the solo parent was widely reviled. There was no domestic purposes benefit. Married women, if, it was very hard to leave a husband because we didn't have the Matrimonial Property Act. Um, sexual harassment wasn't talked about. I think in, in many, many areas of our lives we are infinitely better off than, than we were in the 60s, which is why we had a movement then. I was in the uh, senior uh, nursing position in the country and that was the most senior position held by a woman in the public service and so I had the experience of uh, first of all being taken along to Parliament to various committees because Marilyn Waring kept asking where the women were and so I was taken along to show, to show that the Health Department did have women and I frequently found myself going along the terrace towards Parliament in a group of uh, a dozen men. Is it amnesia, collective amnesia, that makes people so surprised to learn that in one short generation there's been a radical transformation in women's and men's lives in New Zealand? Apartheid is a strong word, yet that's one way of describing the relationship between the sexes that existed in this country. Women and men lived lives apart. There were places, many places, where women couldn't go, jobs they couldn't do, and even if by chance they had enough money to, say, buy a house or start a business, the banks wouldn't lend them it without the backing of a man. Perhaps it didn't seem so bad at the time, because, after all, men and women loved each other, shared beds and children, were brothers and sisters, mothers and sons, fathers and daughters. The home was a refuge and a prison. If women tried to escape with their friends, the result was often an unpleasant encounter. If you think back to the early 70s, when a group of women in a restaurant would be so unusual that some man would have to come up and say, oh, what are you girls doing all on your own? You know, and no, men don't, I hope, don't do that anymore. Just as the mental landscape's changing, so's the physical one. In metropolitan centres like Wellington anyway, cafes are springing up like La Fare run by Jeff Kennedy. It has the atmosphere of a noisy, bustling kitchen, and women clearly feel comfortable here to judge by those sitting by themselves or with friends in the late afternoon. Well, 20 years ago there was the pub. There was the old hotel which served a roast dinner, but uh, it wasn't an institution for, for people to uh, make part of their daily uh, free lives, you know, and now the cafe, and and in Wellington this cafe is flourish, flourishing because it's a big space which provides um, an area for, for people to bring their children and not be threatened by this alcohol-orientated uh, institution which, we, which is now dying out. 
I'd arranged to meet Jeff in his cafe to talk about the changing role of men and women. He met me with two friends, also restaurateurs, Ramiro Bresolin and Andrew Ellis. Aged 40-something, they've lived through dramatic changes, including the burgeoning number of women in the workforce. Andrew Ellis says he's happy with the change. It's making things a lot more balanced as far as I see, well, even in the cafe, we see... Uh, we have probably more women in the cafe than we have we have men, but that's not necessarily mothers with children. Um, a lot of people, um, and it can be anything from a business meeting to even to even falling in love. I'm noticing um, couples seem to fall in love differently. Um, where it used to be one sat one way, the other one sat the other way. It was the usual sort of stereotypes, the way that they, the way one formed, the other one um, sat dominant. Uh, that's different now. I think it's fantastic. I think it's brilliant that, that actually we have, I mean, uh, we have been, we've been uh, in the last decade or, or more, you know, there's been this uh, great things about the equalitarian, you know, the equalitarian society. I feel that there is, uh, things have been taken to the other extreme as well, because we do get, uh, as we still have uh, very dominant males, which, you know, the macho man and, and whatever, but also I think that has changed around and we have had the, uh, the, the opposite as well. We have uh, a breed of females that uh, have taken, uh, taken uh, the thing to the extreme. In my own home life, I feel very threatened. Uh, Jenny, my wife, I'm not allowed to call her my wife, Jenny, uh, she, she works and um, she comes home and she does the meal and I help her with the meal, but, um, you know, whereas the, the woman used to cook the meal, uh, now she's working and cooking the meal. This is a problem which is going to have to be resolved in the future. If women have new paid jobs, the old jobs haven't disappeared. Housework and childcare still have to be done, and mostly it's women doing the work. Regardless of whether individual men do a lot or more than they used to, independent surveys reveal that the bulk of this work is still carried out by women. Sandra Coney says this isn't the life 70s feminists dreamed of, nor did they want women to rush back to work immediately after giving birth. They're on a bit of a sort of a work and career treadmill and they're so afraid of losing their place in the sort of economic rat race that they have to kind of have children and disguise it. Um, the workplace hasn't really changed to accommodate the fact that women have children and that wasn't what we were fighting for. We weren't fighting for women to be sort of racing around from daycare and hopping off to the supermarket and then coming home and labouring all night and, you know, putting loads of washing through the washing machines. That wasn't really what it was all about. Aidy Severs is a young mother of two children. She runs her own landscape gardening business while partner Scott Osborne looks after the children. I caught up with them at mealtime. Aidy took virtually no time off when she had her two children. Within weeks of the births, she was back at work, breastfeeding and breaks while on the job. Basically, I was working the day and I had to the evening. And, um, but I got really vague. I sort of was just managing to get to work, do my work and get home again. And I got quite sick. I got uh, asthma and I got an atopic pneumonia and I broke my rib and I broke my elbow and I did all sorts of 
things to myself over a year where I should have been actually taking, it's sort of like my body's saying, well, I should take some time off, really. But um, fortunately, I've got myself into a business. She reckons her working week is 60 or 70 hours. That's time actually working in gardens, six days a week, with paperwork and planning in the evenings. Then there's cooking, childcare, housework and voluntary work for the childcare centres her children go to. Amazingly, Aidy feels she's not doing enough. She says she could do better. On the evening I visited them, Scott was preparing the meal. Time of day the, the phone doesn't stop. And uh, Aidy's usually up and down all, all evening. And you're cooking the tea? Oh, we share that. Aidy actually does most of the cooking. And uh, I try and keep the house as tidy as possible. doesn't always work that well, though. I'd rather be playing with the kids than doing the domestics. The ball's stuck in there. How are you going to get that out? But it sounds like you're sort of um, apologising for the fact that you can only work 60 or 70 hours a week. Yeah, I know. I, I think what the trouble is my accountant says to me, don't work harder, work smarter. And I, I seem not to be able to work smarter or something. My, my people who work for me get annoyed with me because things don't get done. I don't know. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I know what my problem is, but I also I also know what um, how complicated life could be without them. <laughs> as I said earlier, I'm not that good on the domestics as, as uh, the average housewife probably would be, but um, then I'm not a housewife. I'm a home executive. <laughs> Judith Fife, who is one of the 70s feminists, says when it comes to assessing the level of equality between men and women, there's one easy way of judging. Who cleans the lavatories? Do any of you ever clean the toilet at home? Never. Never? Never. Yeah, I clean the toilet, but I always leave the lid up. <laughs> you do clean the toilet? <laughs> Once in my life. Once in your life, you clean the toilet. You never I, clean I the toilet. I clean the toilets at work, I, but yeah, I don't clean yeah. the toilets at home, and yeah. that's a very good question. It's true. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've uh, cleaned the toilet. Maybe I might have done it once, but I, mm. no, it's not my habit. I don't. Why does it matter who cleans the lavatories? It's the worst job in the world. It's the great leveller in society. I mean, it actually does tell you. It speaks volumes. Judith Fife says there's a serious issue here. It's the two-job syndrome. You have a, a generation of really fatigued, really exhausted women because, ironically, too, um, the time when most is expected of women in terms of career, in a, you know, in their, whatever their occupation is, is probably coinciding with the time that they're raising children which in itself is pretty well, you know, you can measure that as a full-time or you can measure it as a, an a job that requires particular skills, energy and a lot of time. And parallel to that, there they are trying to, um, in the old male pattern, climb their way up the ladder. Sue Kedgley was one of the most prominent of the 70s feminists and is co-author of a book about to be published called Heading Nowhere in a Navy Blue Suit. Right from the early days of you know, the women's liberation movement, we, we put a lot of effort and energy into getting equality in the workplace, and that quickly translated itself into putting a, a lot of energy into climbing the corporate ladder and uh, trying to succeed in what is fundamentally a male world. And I think perhaps at, at the outset we just didn't realise how male and therefore how alien this world was um, until we got inside it. And... 
in order to get, get to get accepted to advance through that world, we had to um, learn these sort of you know the, the male values, the male ways of communicating. We all had to go to these endless you know assertiveness training courses and whatever, um, and try and slowly sort of metamorphose into beings like men. I mean, and become like men. And I think that a lot of women are waking up, you know, in, in the in, in the 90s and saying, well, hang on a minute, this is not what I want. Sue Kedgley gave up the corporate life when she became a mother at 42. Now she works from home and is involved in local politics and some writing projects. She says she was delighted to forfeit her rung on the career ladder for a more balanced lifestyle. But another woman who's thriving in that corporate jungle is the Director-General of the Social Welfare Department, Margaret Baisley. I believe we have quite a unique situation in this country, that it's you know, the greatest country in the world uh, to be living in if you're a woman at this, uh, at this time, or to be a public servant. Uh, in that um, when I visit other countries uh, and meet the men holding the various equivalent positions to mine, uh, and see their reaction, I realise that we are very unique in this country with the opportunities uh, that, that women have. Although women are still very much in a minority in the upper echelons of management in New Zealand, there has been some upward movement, though some speak disparagingly of the woman in the three-piece suit with the power shoulders. Margaret Baisley says women in the workforce, at all levels, are having a positive effect. You get the best situation when you have men and women. You get the, the best that both um, sexes can um, contribute to the work environment. And so you get a softer working environment that is, is more flexible and more uh, caring of, of people. And in the same way, you're getting better policies because you're getting input from uh, men and women. So I believe that this country benefits quite substantially from having men and women at all levels in the public service. Keith McGregor is a psychologist who specialises in organisational behaviour. He'd like to see a feminisation of the workforce, but says at the moment it isn't happening. Even when women do reach top managerial positions, he says, they don't have much impact. And he agrees with Sue Kedgley's suggestion that women have been forced into stereotypical male behaviour. They've only succeeded in getting up in the organisation because they have fitted in with the stereotypes of the male managers who do the selection. I would probably, I think if we look closely at whether they have truly succeeded in the sense of managing more effectively, I suspect that the results will be that they haven't. They've, they've attained higher positions, but my experience has been that women who try and manage like men by, by being better men than men succeed in alienating the staff at lower levels just as effectively as a lot of senior male managers. Keith McGregor sees quite distinct differences between the male way of managing and the female. That is, if a woman ever felt free enough to manage like a woman rather than like a man. We're not really talking here about a male versus a female thing. We're talking about two different sets of skills. And males tend to show one set of skills and females tend to show another set of skills. It's not inherently male or female because either can show the other set of skills. One of the dimensions that keeps coming up, particularly with male managers, 
we do a lot of selection work and there's a one dimension called ascendancy, verbal ascendancy, and that's the tendency to speak up in a group situation. Male managers, senior managers, tend to have very high verbal ascendancy scores. What this means in practical terms is that they like talking and they tend to be transmitters rather than receivers. In other words, they have very poor listening skills. Women, on the other hand, tend to be much better facilitators of communication than males do. What this means in terms of organisations is that because we have a lot of male managers who are verbally ascendant, that they tend to be very good or they tend to focus on telling people what to do. And the level and their use of questioning skills, their use of listening skills, tends to be minimal. The result is they try and effectively provide very strong leadership, but in doing so, they disempower the majority of people within the organisation. But hang on a moment. Did the feminists lose the stereotype battle then, the idea that people weren't to be defined by their sex. Women had been so stereotyped when they, you know, that women were submissive and masochistic and dependent and emotional and so on and so forth that we rather went overboard in terms of saying, no, that's absolute nonsense. And, and I certainly said you know, that all um, behaviour traits are simply a result of conditioning. Now, you know, now that I have a three-year-old child, I, I think that's complete rot. You know, I, mean, I, I think there are, there are some things which... Uh, men, you know, they tend to be male uh, qualities and some female, and you can see them even in two-year-old babies. He is a joke. That's what he is, he's a joke. I had four times, four times more portfolios than he's ever held, and I always read my papers. That member of parliament is a joke. And he will say anything, he will do anything under parliamentary, uh, parliamentary privilege to discredit and defame anyone that comes within his lateral vision. Parliament seems an ideal place for people with verbal ascendancy. And it does seem to suit testosterone-charged males when the debating chamber becomes a place of battle, a scene of bawling, bragging and ganging up. The MP, Sonia Davies, has written a chapter in Sue Kedgley's book. She says Parliament is dominated by men and male colleagues are patronising, but that it was much worse in the 70s. In 1972, there were only two women MPs, and when Marilyn Waring was elected to Parliament in 1975, she found it a difficult and frustrating experience. Women's Affairs Minister Jenny Shipley says it's a lot easier for women in politics now than it was even a few years ago. I recall someone putting the argument that it's a critical mass issue. And even when I first came, there were three in the, the government caucus. There are now eight. Uh, and there were only a handful in the parliament, and there are now 15. While I wouldn't say that is an ideal critical mass, it is beyond the point of uh, being a novelty. And it is certainly, to such an extent, real that it has a profound influence on the way in which parliament works. However, Jenny Shipley does say that there are still more obstacles in a political career for a woman than for a man. The hardest thing um, is that the knives are longer. There, there is no doubt that there are more people who are waiting uh, for my colleague, the Minister of Finance, and I to fall over than there are our other male colleagues in the Cabinet. And th that is perhaps uh, tells us that while we may have uh, be here, the arrived bit in terms of equal treatment is, is not quite secured. Some women are warning that this isn't a time for complacency. 
The American author Susan Faludi argues that a backlash is taking place. Back home, cartoonist Murray Ball, who took a fierce swipe at feminism in his book The Sisterhood, is accused of being the principal whipmaster. No, it's not a backlash.、Uh, I'd, when I wrote the book, I'd, I'd heard a lot about the backlash, and I hadn't actually seen anything that constituted a backlash. Now, my, my book really had nothing to do with that, or, or women's suffrage here either, because I, at the time I was preparing it, I,、um, I wasn't aware that it was women's suffrage here this year. Women are, on average, paid less than men. They're also more likely to work part time. This may be a factor in male unemployment, which is now at a higher rate than women's. The male unemployment rate stands at 10.7 percent. The females at 9.7 percent. Murray Ball says this is having a disturbing effect on men. Men do not feel physically threatened or, or threatened consciously by women, but I do think the fact that men find that women are taking their place in the workforce、um, makes them either resentful or more、um, more aggressive in maintaining their positions.、Uh, I think they're not used to having women.、Um, In, oppos- in, in opposition or, or as, as rivals, and in, in, in the workplace, and I think they do find difficulty in coming to terms with that. If they behave in their natural way, they're being aggressive and、um, are criticised for that. If they don't, they're wimps and li-、uh, lying down under it. So you know, it, it's, it's difficult to be both strong and、um, non-aggressive in, in male terms. We still have、uh, very dominant males, which you know, the macho man and and whatever. But also, I think that has changed around, and we have had the、uh, the the opposite as well. We have、uh, a breed of females that、uh, have taken uh, taken uh, the thing to the extreme. We see it in our cafe every day. We see dynamic women coming in with children, demanding.、Um, You know, an institution, and in and in El Casino, El Casino is also getting、uh, more high chairs as well. Believe it or not, <laughs> a very、uh, formal restaurant is now having to get high chairs. Women are becoming dynamic, mobile people.、Uh, they weren't. I guess it is really important, whether you agree with them or not, that men do start to say how they feel, and I think that we actually have to listen to what they say. I don't think women can talk about their lives without also considering men's lives. I I was thinking about this today. I suspect that those of us who were interested and in all involved in the women's movement in the seventies actually did intend to take control. I'm sure that was part of our ambition. And yet, in reality, that's not going to serve. It's not a matter of somebody being one sex or the other being in control. It is this idea of balance, and I guess balance is the thing that people are most desperately seeking、um, every day in their lives. Judith Fife makes it seem so easy and logical. Logical it may be, but easy it isn't. As Adi Severs says, economic independence hasn't made women free. What does make them free is what goes on in their minds. And I think that's really sad that women have to feel the only way they can feel independent and forthright and and、um, free, I suppose, is if they're really financial. If they're financially independent, then they seem to be liberated. And to me, that's not liberated. I, I like to I like to try and be happy in everything we do. 
Women have always been liberated. They've always been independent. Women have always considered people. That's that's where you become tractors because you start thinking and worrying about other people and, and consequences of your actions on them where some men don't have a conscience and they get their freedom from just thinking about themselves. And Murray Ball worries that in the struggle for power between men and women, children are being trampled over or ignored. If, if you choose to make a transition, then it must be a conscious transition to, to where the man takes over. But I just think, think that sometimes that um, conscious, conscious transition hasn't been made and that uh, the women have said, right, we're going out to work, and men are saying, well, we're continuing working, and therefore there's no one left to look after the kids. And Jenny Shipley says there's something deeply wrong at the heart of our society. She says this still isn't even acknowledged. The vast majority of violence that occurs in New Zealand is within New Zealand households, not on the street or not against unknown people, but between people who are known to each other. And we know more than we've ever done in the past, but I suspect that we are yet to approach a time where we're prepared to be honest enough about what causes that violence and what the really, the real underlying issues are that need to be spoken about if we're going to get on top of that. If it seems a great distance from the angry, frightening atmosphere in the home that Jenny Shipley is talking about to the unbalanced corporate world that Sue Kedgley now eschews, it isn't. Certainly, if Sue Kedgley's vision of a more feminine workplace was to be achieved, it would be bound to affect children and society as a whole. To be emotionally involved in bringing up your children uh, and um, to work in a sort of, you know, a, a, a high-flying corporate career, I mean, it's virtually impossible. At the moment, you're forced to sort of, in, as part of behaving like a man, to pretend that you don't have children and to ignore your children's needs and to, uh, you know, work 12 hours a day or whatever it is that, uh, you know, that, that men have done for centuries. Um, so the first thing is that, you know, you would look at uh, the whole issue of women's, uh, women and children. You would look at, immediately look at flexi time, flexible, flexible working hours, part time, working from home. I mean, these are trends which are starting to happen, but in the large, cor large corporation, corporations, um, only very slowly, and just much more human. I mean, even just simple things. Like I remember, you know, one of the women was talking about that they would immediately bring in sort of um, all sorts of works of art and, and things just to make the work environment seem uh, more homely, less uh, you know, less alien and, and, and rigid. Women's movement into the workplace, some say, wasn't so much due to feminism but to capitalism. Quite simply, women's labour was needed by business. And the market system is going through another convulsion now. Old structures are collapsing and middle management is disappearing. One day, maybe, there'll be no corporation men, not even any corporation women. The trend which Sue Kedgley sees as happening slowly now towards flexi time, homework, will accelerate and perhaps some of the old roles will evaporate. Jeff Kennedy, for one, believes that they will. In the future, there's... In a way, you know, there's going to be a, a, a real beauty between men and women because um, they're both going to be hunters and they're both going to be child um, minders. You know, I mean, it's it's just a foregone conclusion. I think women now, <clears throat> there's no stopping them. I mean, uh, we've us men have got our problems to uh, overcome, but women are on the go and they've become become dynamic and they're they're not going to go back. They're not going to go back to. Um, the pioneering woman who stokes the uh, Arga stove and cooks the roast at night. I mean, they're out there. They're going to go for it. 
We, we've got no choice. Us men have got no choice.